on a mission to explore the far reaches of cinema. Three daring adventurers dive deep into the Criterion and beyond. These are the tales of their adventures. This is Cinenauts! Hey, this is Ian. I'm Boom. This is Catcher. And welcome to Cinenauts, exploring Ooh. the Criterion. Later in this episode, we're going to talk about the Coen Brothers' first feature film, Blood Simple, as selected by Boom last week, which I'm excited yeah. to talk about. Yeah. Same I, here. The wine label method worked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes for those who are unfamiliar boom selected last this pick strictly by the uh art work the poster artwork so it worked out (laughs) maybe this is a strategy that we can take forward with us uh, in the future uh before we get to that i've been getting some heat over the last Uh couple days Mm. about my thoughts on uh black mirror (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and San Junipero, I, I'm going to come clean. I still haven't watched it. Good. Oh, no. Don't, don't fall the peer pressure, man. <laughs> if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to watch it. I am intrigued. Don't listen to him. You should absolutely watch it because now the world, the world is listening. They want to know your thoughts. I'm intrigued. But he, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I am working with internally. If I watch it. <laughs> It's a lose lose for me. If I watch it and I and I ended up loving it, everyone <laughs> is I'm just gonna get the biggest I told you so's from countless mm. amount of people. Look at catchers yeah. not even remotely disagreeing with that. No. The amount of a told you so's I'm not sure I'm prepared for. And then if I say I didn't like it, I'm just gonna get, well, you you didn't wanna like it. So Yeah, you watched it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you know, you re- well, you really don't like it, so it's kinda hard, you know. I'm kind of in a lose lose. So you Ian's gonna you be the next guest you, on Oprah. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was silenced. The life and times yeah. of Ian. <laughs> were, you, were you silent or were you silenced, Ian? <laughs> oh no! I, I, I will have been silenced by the Black Mirror stands uh, in the center Let's, of the yeah. But I haven't ruled it out. I just literally just haven't gotten to it. But. I just wanted everyone to be aware of the internal struggle that I have been going through for the last couple of days. Anyway, one day, guys. One, one day, day we'll get it. It's going to happen at like months and months and months from now. And you're going to be up late one night. And then all of a sudden, there'll just be an update to Letterboxd yeah. if that's possible. And it'll just be like, I did it. Okay. It's over. I'm done. Yeah, it's just, it's just, just in be, the middle of the night when nobody can see. Right. <laughs> it's just going to be a link to the that gif of Frodo saying it's over from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. I'll start then. Let's see why I didn't pull up what I watched. I watched uh, a bunch of good stuff this week. Nothing new except for the Oprah, uh, Meghan Markle <gasps> dialogue, but I'll let boom lead that convo. I'm assuming she was going to oh talk about it and I'll jump in. I knew one of us was going to bring it up. Okay. I was like, either way we, Ian and I are dishing on the Oprah v. Meghan Markle. It will come up. Uh, all right, so I'll, <laughs> I'll bring it up in just a little bit. But little, I watched Little Miss Sunshine and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind this week. Both okay. movies are amazing. And Eternal yes. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, like that's a movie where when I watch it, I immediately get transported back to the exact like 
you know, moments of my life that I was watching that, like the music and yeah. I know the music I was listening to and, and the clothes I was wearing and my friends and all sort of stuff. It's like a, such a specific time frame in my life. So whenever I haven't watched it in a long time, but when I watched that, it was like very like nostalgic, which I yeah. always think is kind of funny because that movie is about erasing memories. But when I watch it, I have very like intense memories of like nice. high school. Um, yeah. And Little Miss Sunshine is just such a beautiful movie. Every time I've never seen Little Miss Sunshine, oh, but I love so I love so Eternal Sunshine. Little so. Miss Sunshine is so good, and it seems right up your alley too. I think I think you would enjoy it. Okay, that's, nice. That's I shall add it to the list. Okay, Catcher, what did you watch? Okay, let's see. Uh, I watched I watched Thor Ragnarok, which mm-hmm. uh, I did not like when I first saw it. I saw it in theaters and was like not a huge fan of it. Um. It should have been like everyone loves it. Uh, it should have been awesome, uh, but I found mm. they do a lot of like pseudo Jack Kirby imagery in the. Uh, he's like a famous uh, Marvel artist, and they use his style a lot in it because he does a lot of cosmic work. And I think the way they translated it in this movie into actual sets and clothing and stuff looks really cheap and really blah. And his comic work is so like gigantic and big and space opera and just sort of uh, more bold, I guess, has more bravado. And I just feel like it loses the transition. Mm. In this case, they just didn't have a budget big enough to do Mm. it. And for some reason, that just makes the whole film seem cheap. Um, Or a lot of times it does. But it's hilarious. And it's growing on me more and more Mm. every time I watch it. I love it more and more. Um, So I enjoyed it. It was good. Um, Mark Ruffalo is still very strange in that role, in that movie in particular. He has such a weird delivery <laughs> thing going on. And then it was uh, Emma's birthday this week. Happy birthday, Emma. And Happy she birthday, had a party. Emma. And, you know, we had a couple people from our bubble. We got mm-hmm. together and had some drinks. And the end of the night ended with, like, karaoke. Ayo. And we did some dirty dancing. And then once everyone <gasps> left, she made us watch. She made me watch Dirty Dancing after everyone left. Yes. Did you do Dirty Dancing or did you sing the song from Dirty Dancing? They yeah, sang. They sang difference. the song they're- Dirty Dancing while I put like some dishes away. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a classic catcher party thing: is just to like not do anything that other people are doing. I have multiple videos of him just like at a full blown house party, just like past in this very chair. Just like oh, yeah. passed out and snoring. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's fun. And then sometimes I got to go to yeah. bed and I don't want to ruin it, you know? Um, old man catcher. <laughs> but so, yeah, so we watched Dirty Dancing that night and then we watched it again the next morning. And Wait, you watched it twice or you finished it the next morning? We, we, no, we watched, we started it from scratch the next morning, but we only got halfway through. Okay, got it. I, Ian's on an Oprah flex right now. He's I, yeah, like, I'm, can I'm you curious. please... Yeah, we Different. need details. Give us the details. What happened? There was no lifting and spinning. Okay, we were just on a comfy in bed, comfy watching Dirty Dancing. What a nice. movie nice. that is! That is, it's a great movie. What a movie! He's his the whole story arc of Patrick Swayze is hilarious to me. He's just the whole thing about him. It's just like his whole character thing is poor. I'm just poor, and so therefore everyone treats me bad. I'm like, you're a handsome man who dances. Your life can't possibly be. I love looking at insane runs on people's IMDb pages. Yeah. Patrick Swayze also has one of those insane streak of movies. He has 
Dirty Dancing, Roadhouse, Ghost, Point Break, all oh my God. within four years. So and one those, of those a year, boom, you're laughing. Yeah, yeah and he has Steel Dawn in the middle of that, which I know people like, but I've never seen it. But, I mean, he just has insane streak of movies. And then he kind of just, like, you know, c- cools when, off for a long time. When's Donnie Darko? How many movies? Donnie Darko's in 2001, but he only does... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He only does nine movies in between Point Break and Donnie Darko. He just like Whoa, slowed down he... his acting career a lot. Um, How many years yeah. is that? What's the difference? 2001 to to when did I say? To Point Break is 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, one movie a year, which I guess maybe that's still a lot, but like but nowadays. If they're not high profile. Are, if they're not yeah. high profile then. Yeah. Nowadays people are shelling out, you know, multiple movies in a year sometimes sure. though. So maybe just the way mm-hmm. movies are being made so much faster now, it, it seems like not that much. But how many movies was The Rock making like in two thousand? <laughs> right. Rock Rock made ten movies in the last two months. Yeah. yeah Highest yeah. paid actor of all time, guys. True. Busiest. <laughs> Who Busiest. Thought? Busiest too. Yeah. Nice. Uh boom. What did you watch? Um yeah, I didn't really watch much again. Uh Netflix just put the rush hour films uh up. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to do a little bit of a revisit because nice. um, these were films like th- these films. I have a memory of like watch specifically watching with my dad and like he loves that kind of humor. Um, like he I think he just like loves like a black guy being ridiculous. Sure. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I went back and rewatched those and like they still stand up. I'd say probably haven't they probably haven't aged the best there's just like a lot of like racially charged (laughs) a lot of black and asian stereotypes and like it's just a lot of like humor that's punching down for sure um but my takeaway is that it's just feel good nostalgia and jackie chan is an absolute gem i think like i'm at an age when i was younger i thought like i always thought he was cool watching his movies Um, but now that I'm a bit older and I just like watching the way he moves and, and like takes control of like those stunts and scenes is, is quite, um, quite incredible and and something very special. So, um, that was definitely an exciting Mm. part of, of watching it. The second one is awful, but, (laughs) and I haven't watched the third one yet. The first one's still good, but yeah, that's, I just keep pulling up these crazy Weird stats. Guess how many yeah. credits Chris Tucker has. I feel like I never really see him in anything, but I feel like he's been in like 45 movies. Can I ask for a hint? Is it shock? Like, is it shockingly <laughs> high or shockingly low? Shockingly low. Okay. Shockingly okay. That's low. what I was going to say. Oh, okay. Because okay. I'm kind of with boom. I had assumed he's been in a million things. I was going to say 10. He's in 12. Wow. And three of those <laughs> Three of those are Rush Hour. <laughs> rush Hour. So movies. he's been in nine non-Rush Hour films, but he's yeah. just been in a bunch of iconic ones. I was going to say, he was in um, Fifth Element, right? Yep, Fifth Element, yeah. Friday, Dead Presidents. Oh, and there's um, two Friday movies? Jackie Brown. I guess, like, just he's been in a series of iconic movies. That you don't need to make that many. You don't need to make that many, yeah. Interesting. Who is Chris Tucker's agent? And everyone should have his agent then. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming he just didn't want to do acting. I mean, he had, you know, made his money and 
I was like, yeah, I, totally. I'm chilling, right? Yeah. He's a comedian too, right? So yeah, that's true. Anything else, boom, you want to talk about? The thing that I was looking forward to the most last week, uh, was the Megxit interview yeah. with Let's Oprah. Chat. This is it. Uh, I, Ian, I know you watched it. I don't know if Ketcher watched it, but I know, you know, of course. Like, yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> Emma, dished, Emma dished her, her thoughts to me as well. Yeah. So I loved it for like the iconic yes, Oprah factor. Mm-hmm. I thought um, like she's just so fascinating to watch and just like seeing her at work again was just mm-hmm. not that she hasn't been working, but just seeing her do that, like what she does best was like a nice little treat. Yeah, there's a tweet I saw that said, um, I love that every few years, Oprah just has to remind everyone that she's the goat. Yeah, I saw that yeah. too. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Don't you ever forget it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I thought it was a good interview, like good insight. I'm very much so like into the Royals and like mo- more so like the scandal and what's going on. I try not to play into, I know how the British tabloids work. I try not to play too much into that because I think it's absolutely nasty what goes on. It goes on over here too, but to there, I think it's like they, over there. I think it's to like a greater extent. We saw Pierce Morgan today. Um, it's just like really nasty things towards women, women of color. But I just, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Like I thought Meghan Markle is like incredibly poised and, mm-hmm spoke very eloquently and held her own and and was very firm and strong. A part of me wanted it to be more political. Like I was just like, yes, like Mm. name names and like take them down. (laughs) Obviously that's not a hundred percent what this is for. This is more so for the buzz and Mm. like, you know, they're getting their story out there. Sure. But at the end of the day, these things. You wanted more tea spilled. Yeah, I wanted names and (laughs) (laughs) they're clearly like very fearful or at least it seems like they're very like legitimately fearful for like their own lives. I mean, half the interview was basically about how they were just like scared that they were going to be like assassinated basically. Yes. And so I kind of think like a part of them dancing the line and not going too in on that was like Bar, yeah. was part of that. I think like that legitimately played into some of the aspects but <laughs> Uh, I overthought it was good. I thought when Oprah like followed up with, uh, what's the name? race oh, oh, saying, like who said, saying who said it, I yeah. thought we were going to get it. But when he said, I'm not going to talk about that. I was like, come on. I, know. Just, I love how we all know like, it's your, we all know it's your dad anyway. Just say it. <laughs> we know it's your dad. And I love how she does it too. Cause she's just like, how's Archie? Like, oh my God, who said, like, who said that about his skin? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. I mean, she's a pro. Yes. Oprah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I stay tuned for a full episode on this coming soon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's what we're going to uh, use Twitter spaces for Ian. Yeah. Yeah. We'll use Twitter spaces to discuss uh, this episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, Catcher, did you have any thoughts on that? I know you didn't watch it, but any, uh, any words? I just think like I am for some weird reason, like I never really followed the Royal family and didn't really up until this yeah, day. I don't really either, but I remember specifically the night when like Princess Diana died mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, mm. I just found like their life, their lives so interesting. And I feel like he, I mean, not that his brother didn't, but I think his brother just like is more in line with what's going on. He's the older brother. So it makes sense that he would just like yeah. know to follow the rules, you know? 
But when you have an older brother, you get to learn life a little bit in a different way at a different pace, mm-hmm. I think. And mm-hmm. he's had some freedom to sort of like live life a little bit more rebelliously. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he realizes that there's some screwed up shit going on and like power to him. Cause I don't, as much as like it, you want the tea and I totally appreciate the necessity <laughs> for having some drama and some fun at these people's you know, expense a bit. Um, I don't <laughs> think he wants anything malicious to happen. Like he doesn't, like, you know? So I think yeah, he's yeah. coming from a place yeah. of like really just wanting to sort this out because he knows how bad and how brutal the press can be as what happened with his mother, obviously. And I think he's just rightfully fighting a pretty good fight in a smart way. Well, that was our week. What Stay a week. tuned for We're going to do a spinoff uh, podcast, maybe just dissecting the, uh, the Megxit interview. Yeah, Megxit, <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's get to it then, shall we? All right? Yes. Um, this week, like I said earlier, we're going to discuss... The Coen Brothers' first film, uh, Blood Simple, uh, it, it was credited as only Joel Coen, but as we all know now, is written and directed by both Joel and Ethan Coen, um, starring John Getz, Francis McDormand, and uh, Dan Hedaya. Uh, the plot line is kind of confusing, but I mean, on the surface level, it's very simple, but then gets very deep, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But basically, uh, two people have an affair the husband who is being affaired on is that a, is that the right word? <laughs> who's uh, being affaired? Yeah, who's being affaired? Uh, he calls a hit to murder the, his wife and her lover. The hit doesn't go down as planned, and a series of events occur in which multiple people think <laughs> they have died uh, <laughs> in a circle of confusion uh, and and chaos and misunderstanding. Mm. So. That is our synopsis of Blood Simple, but I believe Boom has to take us away. So before we get into our time machines, let's just kind of take a look at the Coen brothers and where they are at now. Mm -hmm. Um, They've been in the business for almost 40 years. They've made, I think, together 18 films Mm -hmm. and they've been nominated for like countless Oscars. They've won uh, four total together. Uh, some of their biggest films being Fargo, The Big Lebowski, No Country for Old Men. The list goes on. Um, and yeah, they're regarded in the film industry as some of the best in the business. And they've touched many different genres over the years. But what they are known for is kind of taking a genre, bending it or subverting it or parodying it. So, so that is the Coen brothers today. So now... Let's get into the time machines. (laughs) Um, And so we're going back to the beginning, uh, which was the early 80s. So Joel, the good looking brother, I'm just kidding. Anyways. (laughs) Okay. So Joel was working with Sam Raimi as an editor. I couldn't find credits anywhere, but he mentions it in an interview. So we're just going to take that. Mm As fact, but anyway, Joe and his brother Ethan want to make movies, but they're essentially penniless and don't have much experience. In conversations with Joel, uh, Sam Raimi basically gives him advice on how to shop a film independently before it's made and how to source investors. So basically what he advises is to shoot 
a trailer and instead of calling people up and saying, hey, like I have an opportunity for you to invest in a film, he suggests you tell them, we have a piece of film to show you if you can give us 10 minutes of your time. Um, So basically that works. They ultimately, I think they did a year of kind of like sourcing and they end up raising enough money uh, they need to be able to shoot Blood Simple. So everything about this film is approached in the most practical way possible. Mm. The concept of the film is less of like a grandeur display of creative ideology, but rather a simple story with big energy that can stay contained within their limited resources and lack of hard skills. The goal here was to make something that people were into that could pay back the investors and solidify an opportunity to make another film. Um, So they draw major inspiration from hard-boiled fiction novels and the film noir genre. They add their own twist to it using elements of horror, exploitation, and comedy. And when the film is finally released, it sees a decent success and the Coen brothers are thrilled. Um, But what they fail to realize at that time is that they have now opened the doors to a new wave of independent filmmaking that beforehand mostly consisted of grindhouse horror and exploitation films. And this helps to pave the way for what is now called the Hollywood Renaissance where authority of what and how films are being made are moving more into the hands of like the directors, writers, et cetera, um, rather than the studios. And this is allowing certain genres like neo-noir to break into the mainstream. And they weren't necessarily the first to do it, but they were one of the first like great successes and, and inspirations for filmmakers to deviate from conventional standards. Um, and Blood Simple is where it started for the Coen brothers. And to this day, they are like still extremely hands-on with all elements of uh, the production of their films as they often produce, edit, write, and direct them. Um, so I haven't, so personally, I haven't watched many Coen brother films. Um, so in a sense, I went into this with like a fresh set of eyes but objectively, I know how like important they are. So I was wondering if you two consider yourself like fans of them. And if so, how this holds up being their first film. Like if someone showed this to you blindly, would you be able to tell that it was one of their films? Um, so yeah, maybe Ian, you're nodding your head. Let's start with you. Yeah, I'm a big Coen Brothers fan. Huge. Nice. Um, I l- like or love basically all their movies. Um, I don't looking through their list. I actually don't think they really have a weak one. Um, Lady Killers is the only one I've ever heard not glaring, like glowing reviews for. So yeah, oddly enough, that's one of the only ones I've seen. (laughs) Is it, is it it because Tom Hanks is in it? No, it's because Marlon Wayans was in it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But so this was your first time seeing Blood Simple? This is my first time seeing Blood Simple, though. It's one of the few I haven't seen of theirs. Um, And dialogue wise, I don't think it it didn't feel quite like as a Coen, like it wasn't as quippy as a Coen Brothers movie as they are now, which there are little signs of it. You can tell it's early there. But my main takeaway from the movie is that the Coen Brothers all their movies or most of the movies hinge upon confusion and mi- miscommunication okay. between the characters like uh, big Lebowski. Obviously the whole point is that they literally 
try and screw over the wrong Lebowski. <laughs> uh, Hail Caesar is all about that. Um, oh, uh, let me see. Fargo, there's a lot of confusion in there as well. I mean, Burn After Reading, there's just tons of confusion. And Blood Simple is 100% that. Like You can see their early, the way their mind works creatively mm. and how they find interesting stories and in when people do not understand each other. Uh, and you see it very, very clearly yeah. here. Like visually, um, I think there's like a lot of things like that shot where they're going on the bar uh, and someone like jumps and they think the uh, Maurice jumps on the yeah. bar and you see him dance a little bit. Like that was very Coen Brothers League, just like visually to me. Um, but I think for me most, it's just like the general story and the way their narrative was structured was super Coen Brothers. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick, I what agree. about you? Um, I'm not like as huge a Coen Brothers fan. There's some of them that I have not seen. Um, that being said, the few that I have had seen are are incredible and really great. And I've really enjoyed and have such had such a great time. Um, and this movie definitely feels like their first movie. Um, there's so mm. much Ian said already about just how much of them are, exists in this film. Um, and I just, I was really kind of blown away by that. Cause like to make your first movie to sort of have such a great eye, have such a mm -hmm. great sense of storytelling, like the, such a great sense of visual language. Like there, there's so many great tool, like their tools are already so sharpened. Um, mm -hmm. so it was incredibly cool to watch. Like it's obviously sloppy in places. It's not perfect, but it's actually so much better than I thought it would be. And so much better than most people's like classic directors, first, first. films. Like I enjoyed mm -hmm. this so much more than I enjoyed so many more of sort of like that era of like first time filmmakers movies. What was it like, like for you? Well, I was just so interested to learn that I mean, I knew going into it that it was their first film. Um, but while we were while I was researching, I was very interested to learn that this was a very like kind of bare bones operation. A lot of the people that they were working with um, were kind of fresh faces and hadn't mm -hmm. been on a film set before, including uh, Francis. How do I say your name properly? Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Including her, she had never acted on screen before. Um, I mean, which honestly is fair. Like you can kind of tell, but <laughs> um, but the fact is, is like everything that needs to get done gets done, and it it's wild to me that they were so objective driven because this actually is was like kind of creative genius, and you can tell that they have like such a good control of what's going on, even if they were kind of like shaking in their boots being like, we don't know what we're doing. Um, so that was, that was pretty exciting. It was, it was cool. It's really satisfying when you watch a first film for a director. Yeah. And it's, and it's awesome. Good. You know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty cool that they obviously just like had a really brilliant division mm -hmm. and like they work operate at that level that like, you know, they want to operate at, uh, and it was just like already, and it didn't take them a couple of years to get to, you know, sort of the flow that they wanted to get to. And it, I, I love seeing that. Absolutely. I, I watched this interview. It was uh, Guillermo del Toro interviewing the Coen brothers, uh, for some, something, who knows what it was like 40 minutes, I think. Um, 
And I just like so many cool stories. I came from watching that. Um, but Guillermo del Toro was talking about that. Like Citizen Kane is probably like the greatest first film ever made, like in terms of what it was able to do. Mm. But in terms of having the mm-hmm. best first movie, he thinks like the Coen brother, he thinks Blood Simple is that because it lays the ground for, for what's possible as opposed to um, Citizen Kane where it was like, you made the greatest movie. You can't do anything. You can't go up from here. Like right. this is it. You've hit the top mm. where this is just like lays such a solid foundation. And they're just, their films, um, watching that interview, it's interesting how many of their films sort of follow a lot of similar themes and have a lot of similar character types. Um, but mm-hmm. it's so interesting just to see like their range in terms of comedy and like this is quite mm-hmm. violent and I, they came up like with Sam Raimi. And so you get that vibe mm-hmm. of that horror feel from that time frame in this film. Mm-hmm. But like that, mm-hmm. that horror will become more comedy, you know, as, as yeah. the time goes on with them or they're just able to like saddle. All the genres that are kind of like being um introduced in this or like all the things mm-hmm. that are happening they just all seem to complement each other perfectly like there's just such a balance going on like it is violent it is kind of a thriller it is kind of a noir it's also a horror in moments it's a comedy um or it's not even that it's a comedy i would say like the humor is definitely there but you're not like mm-hmm. you're kind of like chuckling you're like ha like that <laughs> like yeah. that was clever, you know. Um, I think my favorite joke is the "Are you a, a marriage counselor?" one, where she <laughs> asks him twice if she's a marriage counselor, and then he's like speaking to Marty like the next day, and he's like, "What are you like? What are you a marriage counselor or something?" Or no, yeah. he's sorry, he says twice that he is not a marriage counselor, and then the next day he's talking to Marty, and he's like. What are you a marriage counselor? That one was funny. And there were, there were a lot of good there, ones in there. There's also a lot of unintentional comedy. I think just because it was made in uh, 1989 yeah. or was it 1984? I, mean, uh, I, I laughed pretty good when uh, a Francis McDormand kicks uh, uh, what's his name in the balls. Yeah. Uh, and he's throwing <laughs> Dan Adea, Marty and he's throwing up all over the lawn. <laughs> and then Ray walks out of the house with no shirt on and just his jeans. <laughs> just his jeans. <laughs> I was like, man, that's like 80s fucking yeah. vibe right there. 100%. So. Even Maurice showing up in his um, car. Yeah. Just like the way yeah. that car just like zoomed and braked hard yeah. into the spot and just like caused such a ruckus. So great. <laughs> so great. Such an added, like there's just such attitude with this movie. Like not attitude. It's like yeah. bravado or something. I don't know. Yeah. It, they're interesting in yeah. that like, if you think about like like a mixer, you know, like you're mixing a song, you got like drums and guitar, whatever. They are always uh-huh. they kind of have the same s- samples or same b- rhythm, but like the mix is always different. If you understand yeah. what I mean, like in this time, it was like a little bit more noiry with a little sprinkling of humor. But then you get something like uh, Burn After Reading, where the humor is much more turned up and. You know, mm-hmm. actually, I guess so is the intrigue. But you know what I mean? Like, it just they, it always, <laughs> yeah. it always feels like them, but they've always got something, you, some unique twist on a Cohen idea, yeah. I guess. Let's chat a little bit about some of our, our lead characters here. Yeah. So Ray, uh, the, 
guess he's the pro- main protagonist of the movie, which I'm also just like, I mean, you're also scamming on your bosses. Yeah, he's not you know, that wife. much of a hero. So I don't, yeah. I, it's it's not like you're really a hero. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 cojones he has to walk up to Ray or walk up to Marty and ask for his two weeks pay <laughs> after stealing yeah. his wife. I could not believe what he was doing there. I was like, yeah. dude, do you want to yeah. die? Like, what do you do? <laughs> what more do you want from this man? Yeah. I was like, you, you're crazy. Um, but what did you guys think about Ray? I think he, like I said, he obviously got caught in a situation he didn't mean to be get caught in, like the misunderstanding Whoa, with the gun. I mean, and he thought Francis McDormand, I mean, the murder part. Oh, not, oh yeah. Not the, yeah. You know, uh, what, what do you think about him? Ray's boring. I, I could, he was the, my, the least interesting character in the whole movie. And I was just like, uh, why are you cleaning up this man's blood? Like, why are you doing any of this at all? Like that whole sequence of him finding the body and disposing of the body <laughs> first off was hilarious. Like, yeah, pretty funny. When he's the, like trying to mop up the blood with his like windbreaker. With yeah. With a windbreaker, probably like the and least th- absorbent material you can find in the 80s is like and then breaker material pulls up to the incinerator and you're like okay like he's gonna burn the body and then he just, just throws the jacket in there and drives off like the decision making skills on this man are second to none second to none that whole sequence was so funny to me like i thought there's a very like texas moment where only in Texas would a big rig drive past a guy in the middle of the night dragging a body and not stop. Not stop <laughs> just keep going. Like, that's just keep your head down, Texas vibes. Yeah, like, no thank you. I felt like all the characters, maybe except for uh, the detective, were mostly, it was, they were all very shallow. Like, being presented as, to us is like shallow and surface level. Like, everything we don't really like dive deep into their backgrounds or anything like that. Mm. And they all play it pretty stoic. (laughs) So it's more about like what's happening and like what they're doing. And it's kind of shocking because it's like, they all kind of make like really silly decisions. Um, But with Ray, he, he was an interesting character. I, I bought it. I thought like he's, kind of like the quiet brooding guy. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't fully convinced that he like loved, um, loved Abby as much as like he like was like all the actions. He was going to bury a man alive. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But that scene um, and the way it all went down and how he played it was awesome. Like it was horrifying And it really kind of like grapples with like how hard it could potentially be to like kill somebody. And there's like no talking, but it's just like for some Mm -hmm. reason, you know, every thought that's going through his head. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. Like you kind of know what everybody's thinking at all times, even though, you know, they're confused and don't know what's going on and we know what's going on. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, it was like interesting. It was interesting. They have more style than depth with the characters. Like everything mm-hmm. is a very, feels very like a stylistic choice. Like mm-hmm. the way they talk, the way they do things and, and, and they control the mood so well with like the lighting. Mm-hmm. And I found some of the like Foley work and like the sound design. 
at times can be a little distracting, but at other times Mm -hmm. it's like, it still somehow fits the mood. Like it's a little over the top. Like it's a little, like, I think it gets that from the horror genre a bit. Like it's Mm -hmm. over the top Foley work as well as like some of their violence and they're dealing with the violence. Um, But I think it borrows that too. Like it, it, that's where it feels sort of exciting and fresh a little bit. Um, Yeah. And the music, like Boom was saying, she woke up, it's like stuck in her head. Like (laughs) I, I very rarely think of music and scores, but whenever they're good, it always like makes me feel nice. Um, But it just sort of washes over me. And I started watching that interview with uh, Francis McDormand and they started playing the sort of blood simple theme, like that piano Mm -hmm. piece. And -hmm. it was like, I'd known that song my whole life. And I was like, mm. why do I know that song? And I was like, oh, yeah, I just watched it in the movie yesterday. Like, it was mm. so naturally, like, the the music fits so well with the movie at all times. And it mm. just, yeah, I really found that to be so exciting. Francis McDormand was was great in this movie. Yeah. She was, like, kind of unrecognizable to me at first. Mm. I, obviously, it was a while ago, but T- Tara made the realization that it's, like, whenever I see her now, especially like right after Nomadland and then three billboards in Missouri and even Moonrise Kingdom, she's ne- she's always playing like the every woman type, right? Mm-hmm. Where she's just like, she's never like wearing makeup and she's always just sort of like kind of playing a character who's like down on their luck. So it was funny seeing her uh, role, like, as like the Southern Belle sort like of this. like. Yeah, yeah. It was funny seeing her as like the object of people's affection, which I thought was cool. Um, especially since that was, you know, her first role and, and early into it. Yeah. Her character was interesting to me. Do you think that, you know, Marty basically hinted to Ray that she's going to screw around with you a lot and the whole, like, you think I'm fooling came back to play at the end. But do you think that she, like, loved Ray or or was that just sort of her flavor of the week type thing? I have no idea what anybody felt in their hearts in this film. Yeah. <laughs> like the <laughs> besides besides maybe Marty cuz obviously he like wanted he was so vengeful but like I have I don't know. What do you what I, do you think catcher? <laughs> well, it's interesting cuz I was kind of in the same boat there where I was trying to understand like what is the vibe cuz they don't really feel like they love each other and m- they barely even felt like they happen. liked each other. No, that's true. Like that's the thing. They barely even were interested in with being in the same room. And some of that might have to just be the fact that this is like everyone early on in their careers. And like, maybe it's not the most um, like incredible performance. Maybe it's not the most nuanced mm-hmm. performance. Like maybe they're, they're still like struggling with how to act and be directors and that sort of thing. Um, but there's this sequence when um, I think she gets out of the shower. She's in the bathroom and then she hears someone come in and you don't know who it is, and she gets really scared. She goes out, and it's Marty, and they have, like, a conversation. And then he sort of keels over and, like, pukes up all this blood, and then you realize it's been a dream sequence. It's a dream. Yeah. Right. And But there's this, in that sequence when you don't, you think it's really him, and he's in the room, and they're talking, and they're going back and forth. And he's like, oh, you forgot your weapon, which is, like, a callback, I think, to a previous scene in the movie. And he mm-hmm. throws at her, like, her oh, pocket uh. mirror. And mm-hmm. I was just like, for a movie that's all style, like it's not the gun. Like they purposely are passing her this pocket um, mirror. Yeah. And I was like, so what are they trying to say with that? Like what, what, and, and, and the thing I took from it was her weapon was just her, like her beauty and her ability to sort of like get what she wants. And so the idea mm-hmm. that she, 
Mm. It's 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 very possible that you know she was using him to get out of that situation with Marty because I'm sure the situation with Marty was probably not good. If you're willing to try and kill your wife, ex-wife, whatever, yeah. uh, chances are you're probably person. pretty violent or whatever. You know, so I'm sure she had a reason to leave. <laughs> but you know, no one in this movie is clean, or no one comes out of this movie mm. looking like a hero, like we mentioned before. Um, mm-hmm. So it was interesting that they sort of as maybe cliche as that sounds like the woman is her, her beauty is the, her tool, her weapon kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that at least gave it a little bit of depth to her character. Mm-hmm. That scene alone, like had that not been in it, I probably wouldn't right. feel as, but there's a reason they did that. And I just, I want to give them a little bit of credit for that. I think. And boom, he's talking about mixing genres like that end sequence just turned into a horror movie for the last, like it was a final mm-hmm. girl sequence for the last, couple minutes i mean the lights going on and i thought it was shot so well that ending sequence was so cool like the lights going on and off the glass shattering and then when he's the guy like the the, the, the pi's hand getting nailed he's shooting through the wall and then just the rays of light coming yes. through that was that was awesome i yeah. really really enjoyed that I, that was you if you have the the criterion channel you can see they have the trailer like the the money making trailer that they use to oh, like yeah. sell people on mm-hmm. and like that shot is in the trailer like they re- mm, they re- re- remade well you know they set up that visual because to them that i guess that had always been in the thing that, that was the visual they had in mind i'm sure one of us hopefully it's me we'll get into this movie later but no country for old men like mm-hmm. the, the way that film tells a story through visual language like you can this these two films sort of are very similar and I think what's mm-hmm. so interesting is like they have like they're thinking in images like that, whole, like mm. very cinematically of like, even though they have no money, they know these are the shots that in their mind that sort of represent what this film is. And that last yep. sequence is so, so cool and so interesting yeah. because it's like, boom, you were, you were saying they take advantage of, they, they understood the scope of what they could do. So it's like, mm-hmm. how do you create tension? But when all you have is like one set and it's like, they yeah. managed to pull infinite tension from that small little situation. Yeah, and like a lot of indie movies, they suffer because they try doing too much with too little budget or too little time and something like that. And like you said before, boom, the Coens just like really understood their limits of what they could do and just maximize it all perfectly. Yeah. Which yeah. I agree, like is really displayed in that in that final scene. Let's uh chat about uh Mr. Uh, Mr. Marty. So I, <laughs> Dan Hedaya, I, when I was watching this, I had like, it took me like a couple minutes to get into him being like the, like the bad guy, I guess, mm. because my almost entire knowledge of him is from Clueless and A Night at the Roxbury. Uh-huh. <laughs> where, where, <laughs> where he's like the, the funny dad uh, in, in both of those. So it took me a while to get, to get through that. Uh, he's also in Mulholland Drive and Usual Suspects, but I think of him in those two movies. So it was funny to me, but I thought he was great. Yeah. He, uh, he was like really intense and, and scary. And I, I yeah. thought he did a really good job. He um, brought the energy to where it needed to be. I think. Cause like, I, I think this movie is like an over top movie without being over the top. And like, it kind of just like takes you right to the edge and then knows when to like dial back and knows when to bring you back to the edge. Um, and I thought he kind of carried a lot of that, like a lot of the energy. Um, so that was exciting. Um, and I hated him. 
So that was <laughs> that was the vibe. <laughs> okay, can let me ask you when I when uh, what's his name shows up on screen? He's um, the private investigator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first thing I thought of was like if they like remade this movie, it would be Woody Harrelson. Like I desperately want Woody Harrelson in that role. <laughs> I thought John C. Riley. Oh. oh yes. He's he Okay. He's kind of I got Similar John Cena, but I know what you mean mm. like kind of a, a obviously a character actor with like a very thick voice. Yeah, there yeah. was just a certain kind of bur- like a, not bravado, but just like a certain kind of swagger that he had that I was yeah. just like okay, I It's like love. a slimy swagger. Like he felt like such yeah. a slimy dude. Yeah, he really did. Yeah. Like again, only in Texas can a private investigator be wearing that insane outfit and somehow like, <laughs> blend in and not have anybody like think twice. He's just like walking around this house like a powder you know, yellow suit. With that huge and that big ass hat. And like when he's like stomping around in their house trying to be quiet, he's just wearing like his loud cowboy boots, just like <laughs> trying to like like little step around the house. I know. Uh, it's good. Can I um inside <laughs> joke, inside joke, John I was watching this with Johnny Boom and uh I was like, is this he was like, who is this majestic, wonderful man? Like, he was in love with him. It was amazing. That's his aesthetic right there. Yeah, we have a friend who's, like, <laughs> as skinny as a string bean and is obsessed with, like, cow the cowboy aesthetic. Like, with, yeah. if we're dressing up, he shows up with a cow- like with cowboy boots and one of yeah. those bolo ties. He's amazing. Um, with the private eye, why do you think he decided to kill... Marty instead of just killing the two because he would have gotten his money or what was or I guess it was like he was washing his hands clean because he could frame her or like what what was your take? I think he kind of knew Marty did not want to kill his wife really he was just talking big game and when he was when Marty when the PI realized that Marty did not like launder the money correctly to pay for like his assassination, he was like, well, I have to like take care of this. Like he kept saying, you're being money simple, you know? Right. So I think when you realize that any, anything could get back to him, like he would have to do it. That was kind of my take on it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. That makes sense. But I just think he just thought he was being stupid. He's like, well, I have to cover my ass now mm. or that sort of deal. What the simple, whatever it takes for you to get to a to B, whatever that piece of plot information has to be in my head, like that's, whatever it has to get you there. Like, I don't think it's really vitally important. Why? You yeah. just need to know that he doesn't trust him. And yeah, for one, cause yeah, I thought he was confused about where the money was coming from. And like, so mm. he just was like, Oh, I could get this money and just have this be closed. Yeah. But before we wrap, I do want to just talk about of how we all felt of the sequence of events and general, uh, everyone just not knowing what was what going was on there. On. I really, I obviously just been with I've really enjoyed it. I loved how like every couple minutes, like at the last act, every couple minutes, someone else was not un- was unsure of what was happening with another person. Even you, and, like, even the- you, you're like, yeah. Wait, who is dead now? Somebody tell yeah. me who's dead now. I need to know. Yeah, and like the way the Cone Brothers pieced together what everyone thought was happening, I thought worked so well mm, like how brilliant. when ray finds the gun he immediately you kind of know that he thinks uh yeah. abby killed her uh, and then i struggled with then, that I, oh you don't think so okay that, go on everything else i think is accurate and it and maybe it's my own dumbness for not catching it 
But I felt like that was the <laughs> one point, the only point in the movie where I was unsure of a character's like motivation. Like I was like, mm. why, why are you getting involved? You found a dead body. Just go home. You have nothing to do with this. And I was like, oh, I guess the gun. He's protecting is her. Enough for him to, con- he's protecting her. But he I just loves her. Feel, yeah, fair. Right. Maybe that's what it was. Like I wasn't believing in them. So I didn't believe he'd clean a, a body, mm. but it just wasn't like, it never felt like she was in danger. Like just take the gun with you. How would they ever trace that back to her? Like it seemed like there were simpler solves. But it leads right. to like the funniest, some of the funniest, and most interesting scenes of the movie. So you're like, okay, cool, that's fine. I'll take it, I guess. Well, I feel like, like I understand what you're saying, but like everything that was happening, there was a simpler solve to it. And I think that's why it was like so entertaining and so infuriating at the same yeah. time. Because you're like, you could just like I've done this, and then the movie would just be over, right? So it was just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. so. If for, for you're these people are just being absolute idiots and it's and not communicating and there's even a joke in the film about communication i think it's marty who says it because he's just like our communication is all off and <laughs> you're like for real because there's just so many opportunities where you're like would you not have just like come out and said this or you, yeah. you know like express how you Use feel but words. instead they just like give each other these like blank like weird books and they're like oh it's <laughs> like okay <laughs> you're right though Ian otherwise like I, I think the point you were getting to was good which is like they do for the for the most part though like balance what's going on in the, the percept like p- characters points of view and motivation and like they have a lot of plates spinning and they manage to like keep them all up and tidy um I think you're right about that. yeah it does. It feels very clean, doesn't it? Like, I mean, it's not. It's dirty, especially with those nasty ass fish. Oh, yeah. What's with oh. the lighter? Why does nothing get solved with the lighter in the end? So that was the only thing I thought. Like that guy is chain smoking cigarettes the whole time, mm. and it takes him several hours to realize yes. he doesn't have yeah. his lighter with his name on it with him. I was like, that doesn't come matter. on, man. Agreed, agreed. That is the first. He thing would not I have thought. left there with like his prize, what seemed to be his prize possession. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. The, I guess it was just like the distraction, like because you know, I don't know. He was distracted by. <laughs> I can't really tell. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that I, the fish was gnar. But then it's also not used like to solve anything. Like they keep showing it to prove like okay he was there he was there. But then nothing. That's what draw him. By the end of the movie, it's still there, isn't it? That that yeah, that's what brings him back. That's what brings him back. So he sees um. What's he her never, face? Does he get the? But does he get the lighter though? No, but right. he sees Abby, and then he thinks Abby knows that he because she was in the safe, yeah. right? Yeah. So he thinks that she knows and I know I just feel just, bad again, that the lighters no. there with the fish. Like I feel like at some point <laughs> yeah. someone should have rescued the lighters from the fish. Sorry, boom. That was, yeah, was so nasty. Like <laughs> I have a very straw deep and irrational fear of dead fish. It's a long story. But that <gasps> oh, was yeah. like physically very hard for me to watch. I was like I don't <laughs> like I was like I need to do this cuz I need to talk about this freaking movie. But like, oh, and they were just there in the frame like the whole time. I hated the whole time. it. I hated it do so you, much. Do you not eat sushi? No, I, I don't. Oh my God. And okay. I eat like, so I'm Jamaican, like I eat okay. fish, but I make my dad like cut it off. Like, so it doesn't resemble a fish. So mm. 
Yeah, I'm such a, I'm a baby. I'm a baby. Wow. uh, (laughs) Interesting. That just put a rock in my relationship with you. I'm sorry. It's not me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, Before we go to our categories, do we have any other, uh, any other plot points or anything we want to talk about? I just had a couple. Um, Very briefly, I thought their Ray's window that just okay. yes. right next to his bed that just leads to the front. Like who would who would sleep in yeah. that position? A when they're boning that night, it's fucking show for the whole street. Right. He doesn't have Come curtains. Come on, Ray. He doesn't have curtains. Okay. He doesn't have curtains. None. And well, that's sleeping he didn't, Like he, that's the most because ex- he didn't get his severance pay in. Like right? <laughs> he needed <laughs> he needed that two weeks to, that's right. to, to get buy curtains. Like that that was the most insane place to sleep in i have that written down and i wasn't sure if that was too nitpicky but i talked my friend's ear off for 20 minutes about that i was like this is an absurd house setup who puts their bed what kind of window height is this no one has ever made a window height at bed level what are we where are we where is this also someone getting that close to take pictures like would you not hear that i mean they'd probably just had a Evening full of love making. The glass looks like it's made of cellophane. It's that thin. Like there's not, there's no way they didn't hear everything outside. Mm -hmm. Or his loud ass cowboy boots stomping through the house. (laughs) Uh, That and then the other thing was that in the opening scene, the uh, windshield wipers, uh, they're going to the beat of the music, which I thought was nice and satisfying. Oh, cool. Oh, oh, there was a cool thing. Her gun. I love yep. that it sort of has, it's not really overt, but you kind of always know how many bullets are in the gun mm. throughout the movie. Like you get introduced that there's three bullets and as the movie progresses, they get used and you mm. sort of follow mm-hmm. that around. And it's kind of cool. I think that they end up using all of the bullets and it's like something interesting yeah. about that. Yeah. She had to save the last one to shoot the That's guy right. uh, when he through the door. Uh, boom. Anything, any, any other random notes? Not, nothing that can come to my mind. The sound, like aside from the score, I thought the soundtrack was really good. Um, yeah, it was great. Like the mu- yeah, and the music all all around was was good, and like they always introduced it in in good moments. I felt so. Yeah, Coen Brothers love winking to the audience about their movies, um, and they do it really well at the end of this one, where like when he dies, the song like it's the same old song to me. It's just like. It, it was to me them saying like, look, like it's just the same thing happening over again. These people just keep getting confused. Yeah. Everyone's getting confused yeah. and just, and you know, I, I thought it was a little wink to the audience about like what their movie was about. And I, I thought that was, that was fun. All right. So let's get to our categories, shall we? So uh, our first one, what is our criterion moment? Who wants to go first? I just think the whole final showdown mm-hmm. is the coolest is like what totally takes it over the top. For me, it's like, as everything we mentioned before, it's low budget, but it never feels cheap. It always You're always on the edge of your seat. They do so much with so little. Uh, the gore factor, when she stabs his hand, oh, oh. there's just something so <laughs> gross about it, but it's lovely. It's like such a great little visual. And then the bullet, like the whole bullet holes through the wall, just like that whole thing is just, they, they clearly had come up with some amazing idea like this and that everything else led to it. It must have, because it's just so brilliantly executed. A hundred percent. So yeah, that final showdown is so cool. Uh, boom. What about you? Probably say the, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, but the, uh, live burial. 
Yeah. Yeah. Probably. First of all, the way that scene in it, like in its entirety is shot is incredible. Like the way you have Mm -hmm. like those over the shoulder shots, the way when he comes back to the car and he's like crawled out and like the doors just open. He's not there. He's crawling down the road. Mm -hmm. All of it is just amazing. There's like no dialogue. Um, but mm-hmm. again, you just like know every thought that's going through their head. Um, and it's just like incredible to me how hard Ray make like how much harder Ray makes things for himself <laughs> continually during like while he's like grappling with like killing him. It's like, you know, he's going to do it. But you're, the whole time you're just like, when like, is it going to be now? Is it going to be now? And then he just decides to bury him alive, which is like the most... <laughs> Horrific out of gun. Yeah, yeah even he though he had a gun. gun in his hand, a shovel in his hands, uh, he goes with he the. He could have run him over with the car. He could have let the truck run him over, like I literally. Thought, yeah, I thought he might push him. At one point, I was like, is he just going to push him in front of the truck? 100%. And then again, no. Yeah. No, they like, I, yes. I, I, they fake you out, and I feel like they do it intentionally. And that scene is just like, I was like, holy shit. Um, and maybe right, Abby he, should it, also not be with him because maybe he is actually like a psychopath now that I'm thinking about <laughs> it. Like he's so <laughs> twisted in his murder technique. That is what uh, that that is what uh, Maurice says. He said he's a little off his rocker. So mm, okay. <laughs> for me, I was going to say the ending sequence, too. I just thought it was so cool. Like it it, t- it does like tie the story together nicely. And again, I like how it just like kind of they were like, well, let's just make a final girl sequence for the last just because to do it. Yeah, because uh, I guess technically she is because everyone else dies along the way. Um, <clears throat> you know, it was cool. It was clearly like I didn't realize, boom, that they were products like a they were working with Sam Raimi and B they were products of like the low budget horror film like school of thought. Mm. And it totally makes sense there. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I agree with Catcher, but both both of your picks were also very good. So. That was mine. How about just quickly the day, the next day he's cleaning up the car and Maurice shows up in the car. So he throws the blanket onto the back seat and the way that they have, they have that whole dialogue and it cuts after they finish speaking, it cuts to the inside of the car. And it's like the towel at that point, five minutes later starts sucking up all the blood (laughs) that it's clearly like a little valve underneath pushing it up. Like it's clearly like a horror film technique where they're just like using it to mm-hmm. s- cover this carpet. I mean, the towel, it's beautiful. It's so funny. He just more, just like runs up, yells at him and then like drives away again. It's like, really yeah. Yeah, yeah, just, just a really, just a really, really, that quick. would be replaced by like, uh, a all caps text from your friend, but now they couldn't do that. Then they'd have to drive to your house and yell at them. Drive and then, over right, and yell at you. Yell at you and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's go to our criteria, our, uh, satellite picks. So, We'll go in reverse order. My satellite pick is uh, also a neo-noir film that I haven't seen in a long time, but um, it just made me think about it. This is uh, David Lynch's Lost Highway mm. starring uh, Bill Pullman and uh, Patricia Arquette. Actually, is it Bat and Spider talking about that this week? Am I making that up? I think they're going to be oh. on Doom Pod maybe or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the Bat and Spider... Actually, I didn't even realize that when I wrote that down. Uh, yeah, the Bat and Spider boys are going to be on a Dune Pod. Nice. Uh, talking about Lost Highway. Um, it's a great, I mean, I love David Lynch. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of, obviously both neo-noirs, but I think they're both 
amazing directors who really stick to their own styles. So that's that's what I thought about. So yeah. David Lynch's Lost Highway. I've never I seen that. I used to watch that. It's great. I mean, it's if you like David Lynch, you'll like it. That's sort of what Ooh. I say with all his movies, basically. Um, but yeah. Uh, boom. Nice. Okay, so either I am scooping Catcher on this one or it's my gift to him. Um, so I'm... Uh, so my pairing for Blood Simple is Ryan Johnson's uh, 2005 Brick. Oh, nice. I was not yeah. thinking that, but yes, hell yeah. I almost went with Brick. Ooh. Oh, nice. Bro, guys, yeah. we're so in sync. Listen. That's great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so similar to the Coen brothers, it was his debut film um it was shot on a very small budget but still manages to be fantastic it was styly as hell yeah it's Mm. super stylistic um it was independent and like blood simple it finds like its own comedic voice while still taking itself seriously which is something i really appreciated um it also like subverts the classical film noir style uh by applying tropes but ultimately being its own thing entirely so Mm I haven't watched it in forever, um, so I'll probably do a revisit soon. But yeah, that's my, that's mine. There's a sequence when you're introduced to like the kingpin in the town, and it cuts to a scene where his mom is making them cookies and milk because they're like in high school and they're still kids. And then it cuts to him and he's having a super important meeting in the back of his mom's minivan, and there's like a stand-up light like that you'd have in your living room. Like in the back of his car, it is hilarious. It's so funny. <laughs> I love that nice. movie so much. Yeah, <laughs> so, good call on the incredible first uh, debut film. Agreed. Yeah, because yes, he's awesome gone movie. on to like do huge mm-hmm. things, right? Um, so have the Coen yes. brothers. So, yeah, catcher. What about you? Well, great. This is good because this is sort of like a cheap play. Um, but I'm going with No Country for Old Men, and yep. I think just this really does feel like the first version of that movie in a certain way, like the way that sort of randomness controls what's happening in that movie. It's just, it's a little bit darker, I guess it's a little bit more mature. Um, but there's just so many similarities, uh, in location in their, uh, dealings with violence. It's not the same. It's not grotesque, but it is still serious. Um, Mm. and uh, yeah, I just feel like, and there's so many like moving parts, um, yeah, I just think it's, there's, they should, they would be great, like sort of double bills or something. Maybe. Is it sc- nice. scary because it's been on my list forever. They do most of my movie watching at night and I'm honestly terrified of it. Just like based on the poster. I would say it's pretty scary. Okay. It's not like, it's not a horror movie by any no. ways, but it is it's like, like alarm. A, like it's unsettling. definitely a thriller. Okay. It's like, it's definitely a thriller, but it's also like incredible and amazing. Okay, I'll do it. I'll yeah. watch it during the daytime. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it's so nice because it's dark if you watch it at night. Yeah, yeah. I'll never sleep again, though. Close your curtains. Close I'm your still curtains. trying to, like, get the dead fish out of my mind. Okay, <laughs> one thing at a time. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So those were our satellite, our Criterion Moments and Satellite Picks. Uh, let's get to our email. So before we get to our to our email that was sent this week, I do want to apologize to dear friend of the pod Mel. Uh, she sent us a beautiful voicemail last week and I forgot to ask her to send another one because the file was corrupted. And in my haste, I just uploaded it and forgot to check that. So I want to apologize to Mel for 
sending that through. Sorry, sorry Mel. You're uh, the best. Sorry, Mel. You're the best, Mel. Uh, she did send over the correct file, so I'm going to uh, update the uh, version that's on there. So anyone nice. who is listening later and going back to the Moulin Rouge uh, mm-hmm. episode, <laughs> hear the correct voicemail. Go back nice. and listen if you haven't. Yes, go back and listen if you haven't also. But uh, Mel, thank you, and I apologize. Uh, but we have one email. We do. And nice. I swear this is this is just furthering my suspicion that Slim and Boom are in cahoots. Oh no. Title The Smell. First time, long time. How bad do you think those fish smell <laughs> And he signs it. Thanks as always, Ian and Boom. Amazing. So leave and catch her off of the signature, which we can dissect in a later date. Oh my god. Uh but uh, yeah, that's. I mean, everyone walks in there like there's not for a that there's not there hasn't been a Uh-oh. dead body in there for who knows how long right. with blood everywhere, and that there's not just four dead gutted fish <laughs> on the table too. Yeah, no one ever makes mention of the fish. Nobody makes mention <laughs> of it. It's the first thing I would have said and noticed over the yeah. dead body. Or the, the movie would have gone wildly off course if Boom had been cast in the screaming. role. It would just yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, we used to go on camping trips. Like, it would be my dad and my sister and myself. And I have FOMO for, like, literally everything. So I would always want to go along and go fishing, but I would just end up screaming the whole time. And I remember one morning, like, opening the tent, and they were, like, literally like a cartoon, like, trying to quietly sneak out to the boat so they, like, didn't have to bring me with them. So... <laughs> Touche, Slim. Like I feel you, dog. <laughs> uh, if you want to send us an email, send it over to sendanotspot at gmail.com or uh, hit us up on DM. Did we have any fun Instagram uh, engagement interaction this week? Boom! You want to you want to fire it up? I accidentally turned Catcher into like the villain of the podcast, and I apologize. <laughs> I didn't I say do you need a villain? You know, every there was a lot of drama about yeah, there was some posts about uh catchers yeah. unlove for Ewan McGregor and Moon Mullen yeah. and then any standout comments there are DMs about that. In the Cynonauts universe, basically the the tea of the week is that people are pissed that catcher doesn't love Moulin Rouge as much as the rest of the world. Um and people are confused that Ian <laughs> about Ian's feelings about Black Mirror but it's one way or another people are either like affirming it and being like yes you go Ian or being like what the hell dude mm-hmm. and that's that's good and my hands are clean everybody loves me we're fine yeah I think it's time shocking, <laughs> shocking conclusions shocking yeah. conclusions yeah there's but I did no one surprise boom is is left unscathed <laughs> for another week on Cynonauts I- I did just admit I don't like sushi, so who knows, oh, guys? Yeah, so, yeah let's, if let's, you had not let's brought have... that back up, they would have never remembered it. <laughs> yeah, now there's no excuse. <laughs> For folks who are keeping track, this was our 19th episode oh of Synonauts. And, and uh, the honor has been bestowed to dear sweet catcher uh, to select our 20th mission. Catcher's been teasing us a little bit. Yeah, he's, he's been he's been testing the waters with how far he can push Boom and yeah. I. If he could pick <laughs> a ten-hour TV series for an episode, <laughs> but let, we don't know where he has landed. So let us see. Twenty is a, a nice number, you know. It's it a is. celebratory number. It's an it even is. number. Um, 
And I thought, why not now, you know, let's let's put our foot in the waters of some real classic criterion mm. filmmaking. So I mm. did float the idea of doing some Igmar Bergman. And some of his best work happened to be TV shows, um, which you can watch 10 hours of these shows. <laughs> they do have theatrical <laughs> mm-hmm. cuts, which are like three and a half hours long, which seems a little bit more manageable to me. Um, but then I thought to myself, <laughs> fuck that. That's crazy. Uh, so instead, <laughs> we're going to watch 1996's The Rock by uh, <laughs> Michael Bay. Where did you, we're going to be watching did, The Rock. Where did I'm you just, just take us? I'm just so excited, honestly, to watch this movie. When I was a kid, I watched this movie. <laughs> and it? the opening sequence where you find out how deadly the chemicals are. The things that happen to a man's skin and that is hilarious. And there's also a car chase through San Francisco. So I thought I would take Ian home. It's been a while. It's been a weird sort of pandemic situation. So let's go. Let's bring Ian home. Let's go to San Francisco. Oh, and my so God. we're going to watch the, Michael Bay's the Rock 1996, a mild mannered chemist and an ex con must lead the counter strike <laughs> when a rogue group of military men led by a renegade general, threatened a nerve gas attack from Alcatraz against San Francisco. Oh, my God. Sean oh my Connery, God. <laughs> Nicholas Cage, Ed Harris. What more do you want? We're doing The Rock. It's going to be awesome. Come join us. <laughs> so I guess I have to apologize to our loyal Synodots listeners. Sorry about that. Uh, Catcher once again breaks the rules to... Pick another Criterion edition. No, However, it's not. It's in the Criterion collection. What? Yes. Shut That's up. That's why I picked it. It's in the Criterion. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I am gagging. Oh, yeah. my That's right, baby. God. That's right. Holy That's right. Sh- That's right. Are you ready? Who's ready? Oh. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Come oh and join God. us. Come and join us. Holy Okay, I need to apologize for c- to catch it now. Holy shit, this is spine number 108. That's, right. <laughs> That's an even number. Collection. Wow. That's, thank you, Boom. Thank you. That's right. And so, Michael Bay, I knew Armageddon was on Criterion, obviously, because we will work our way to that. I did not know The Rock yeah. was in this. Oh, Holy wow. crap. Yeah. This is going to be awesome. I'm so excited. Wow. Wow. Uh, Catcher, I have to apologize to you. I yeah. literally thought you were just saying, fuck it. You guys won't let me watch a 10-hour Ingrid Bergman movie, so I'm going with The Rock, which I guess you still technically did. I did. I did. But you are playing within the rules of the game. That's right. My goodness. Yeah. Oh playing, my playing within the rules, God. getting people excited. This is, you know, Ian, we had talked once about another idea for a podcast, and I just feel like this yes. is a great opportunity for us to, like, to touch on that a little. Yes, Uh, Catcher and I, when we were noodling over Synonauts, we had discussed just uh, going through like insane action movies. I think we called it, (laughs) what was the working title? The The Last Last Great Action Podcast. Last Action Podcast. That was your title. It was perfect. And I'm not a huge fan of action (laughs) movies generally, but the title was good enough. I almost said yes. Uh, So this is our (laughs) chance to do that now. Uh, I'm so excited. I'm very excited, and again, I have to apologize to Catcher for my uh, <laughs> yes. assumptions that he was just rule breaking. Never, but he is not. And that this was is a level be... of chaos that, like, I would have never expected from Catcher, and I'm, I'm so <laughs> I, happy that I specifically that that went happened. out of my way all week, or like oh, the last few my. days. Just, I was like, I'm not gonna even 
give a hint. Like right now, they just think I'm going to make them watch 10 hours of yeah. Ingmar Bergman, like, you know, scenes from a marriage, and I'm bringing you The Rock. Thank yeah. you. So here we thank go. you so much. Well, thank you. I'm so I, excited. I'm very excited to watch this movie. Uh, I'm still shook. <laughs> well, uh, this was another fun and wild episode. <laughs> cinema. That plot twist was as much confusion as Blood Simple. So Seriously. Maybe, uh, maybe it worked. You know, maybe, maybe Catcher's plan worked all along. Anyway, <laughs> we'll be back next week for an insane episode. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Boom catcher, I will miss you as always. I will we'll miss you. We'll talk soon, everyone. Talk to you soon. Ciao. Bye. Bye.